This is Amanda Russell, author of The Influencer Code, How to Unlock the Power of Influencer Marketing, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever situation you're in, send me a connection invite on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. Speaking of LinkedIn, this episode is sponsored by LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. Every marketing campaign starts with one simple question. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message? And the answer is LinkedIn, where business gets done. To get a $100 advertising credit toward your first LinkedIn campaign, visit linkedin.com slash marketing book, linkedin.com slash marketing book. Terms and conditions apply. I'll mention more about that in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show, shall we? Today, we welcome Amanda Russell to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her book, The Influencer Code, How to Unlock the Power of Influencer Marketing, published by Hatherly Press. Amanda Russell is an international brand strategist, speaker, educator, fitness icon, and entrepreneur. Amanda created UCLA's Influencer Marketing Curriculum, the world's first fully accredited program in influencer marketing. She currently teaches the program along with marketing, branding, and business strategy at UCLA, Go Bruins, and University of Texas at Austin. Hook'em Horns. She advises some of the top companies in the world on influencer marketing and how they interact with their customers. And interesting fact, she was a collegiate track star who trained for the Beijing Olympics, but was very unfortunately sidelined by an injury. Amanda, congratulations on the influencer code and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, and you're also the founder of the Russell Athletic Company? You know, everybody thinks that. I, I only wish. I probably wouldn't have I probably wouldn't have done anything else in my life if that was my family. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, sorry. I just I was thrown off. I, I interviewed recently Stephen Denny and it turned out he he's not he hasn't had anything to do with Denny's restaurant. Oh, really? <laughs> um, now, one of the many companies you advise is uh, Lamborghini and as I understand it, um, you're going to be giving a Lamborghini away to a listener of the Marketing Book Podcast. Is that right? Wouldn't that be, if I could do that, I think I would have a very high um, engagement rate. I would have some very high barriers to to, to winning that Lamborghini. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, I do not. I cannot give a, a car away. Oh, uh, man. There goes all my sorry, listeners. Sorry. Wow. Yeah, I know. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Everyone just tuned right off. Yes. Yeah, so... I first learned of you when I was interviewing our mutual friend, Neil Schaefer, about his latest book, The Age of Influence. And so I was very excited to finally connect with you and get a copy of your book and have you on the show. And I have to say that I love your book. And I was so excited when I, you must have mentioned at least a half dozen authors in the book who I've had the you know, the privilege of interviewing uh, for the Marketing Book Podcast. Such a small world, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me read this uh, quote from the, be- or this excerpt from the beginning and start talking about the book. You write, when you think influencer marketing, what do you picture? For many of you, the answer might be a pseudo-celebrity with a big social media following, someone who functions as a walking, talking billboard. You know the drill. High-pressure product placement selfies, breathless testimonials, all-caps coupon codes, three-line affiliate links, and all manner of scammy, spammy, and interruptive calls to action. Some of these posts might seem pretty slick at first glance. It takes effort to look this good, but how do the brands 
or influencers find out if they've had any real impact on their business goals? Are all of those followers real, engaged people who actually want what you have or just a faceless army of bots? Even if the audience is real humans, does the influencer actually exert influence over them? And so does that influence translate to the action you're trying to reach with your brand? Add to this the increasing number of negative headlines. The influencer marketing bubble is set to burst. Influencer fraud is costing brands big bucks. Influencer marketing, a phony industry based on false premises. But here's the thing. All of these things you say are based on false stereotypes. Amanda Russell, what are you talking about? Yeah, thanks for reading that uh, excerpt. So one of the reasons that I wanted to, you know, teach influencer marketing and got so passionate about the subject was because I felt like there was um, a miss. Uh, understanding of the term. And I think that the true power of influencer marketing has to start with how you define influence and understanding the definition of true influence. Because the term influencer marketing is thrown around and it's it's actually what we're a lot of what we're talking about is not influence at all. It's social media advertising. And those two things are getting confused. Um, and there's so many myths around like any, anything to do with attention, buzz, popularity, fame, that all seems to, uh, to drop into the same category as influencer marketing. And those two things that can you be popular and have buzz and famous and have influence? Yes. But does that, do they, does one equal the other? No. And I think that that misunderstanding is causing brands and marketers and people extreme um, billions of dollars and a lot of wasted time and frustration. Right. You talk about how the world is largely confusing attention with influence. And you go on to say attention is currency. Attention is not success. But And that is one of the misperceptions out there, though, that if somebody is aware of Kim Kardashian or one of these people that everyone thinks of as, as influencers, th- that's all they have to do? Yeah. And, I, you know, just, just to give a real people listening to, to give a really clear example of this, especially in, in the world of, you know, advertising and marketing, um, this, 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 uh, image always comes to head when I think of this. I don't know why this, this, this image in my head always works, but I used to drive, I, I, I used to when things, when we did things in real life, uh, drive down sunset every day. Um, on, and every day there was this one massive billboard where you're always getting, I, I was always stuck in traffic at this point and it always had something different on it. And I was always aware of like, it was usually a new movie, a new movie or new Netflix series coming out. And so every day aware of whatever that's on that billboard, does that mean that I'm going to go watch that show, go to the movies, buy tickets to that you know, to that movie, buy tickets to that concert. No, not necessarily. So you can be really aware. You can have, you can get attention all day long. Uh, you comments, even if we're talking social media. I had a client who was um, a housewife on one of the housewife shows and her, uh, she went, when we, when it came to like the idea of, of engagement, this like vague term of engagement. Um, so, you know, likes, follows, comments, however, however, somebody's defining engagement, you know, she was off the charts on, on her community, especially on Instagram on engagement. Well, a lot of the brands that came to her were, you know, for um, fashion brands and fashion and beauty. And they were usually like higher price point. So like, you know, a designer handbag, because that was her lifestyle, Beverly Hills, you know, housewife. And uh, if that, when I used to just shake my head, because if she were to post about, let's say said handbag, then the engagement would go off the charts. They, people would comment. Yes. Even the, the comments would even be targeted like, Oh, that's a beautiful bag, blah, 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 blah. So, by nature, then did 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 the uh, marketer or whoever dealt with that campaign did they have success? No, not not when you not when you have to translate that to the bottom line and to the you know to the CEO or the founder because she couldn't sell almost one handbag because her audience. Yes, they aspired for that lifestyle, but they were not the audience that was going to buy you know five hundred thousand ten thousand dollar handbags. They weren't even going to buy a hundred dollar handbag. But they would ca- talk about it all day long. So there's a really big difference between attention and uh, attention and influence. Attention without trust, I like to say, is just noise. It's just buzz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you say in order to leverage the magic of influencer marketing, we must first understand influence, and it's not clearly the same thing as is just awareness or or, or attention. Yeah. 
what are some of the uh, biggest problems that marketers face when it comes to influencer marketing that you've uh, found? Uh, well, I think that that's probably one of the biggest ones is, is confusing it for social media advertising or it's very transactional. Um, social media marketing social media is not influence. Uh, that's a big one. Um, that influence is universal, meaning that uh, if somebody is influential in one category, that it translates. And that's not the case. It's very contextual. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to, um, I, you know, doing it properly and, and, and figuring out influence, influencer marketing, from a marketer standpoint, I think marketers would say that some of their biggest challenges are, uh, number one, identifying the right influencers. Uh, and number two, um, connecting with the right influencers because identifying them and connecting with them are two very different things. You can identify someone all day long, but you know you can say that Kim Kardashian is going to be your best influencer, but if you can't if you can't build a relationship with her, good luck. Um, and then number three is measuring uh, success on on mark on influencer marketing. Yes, and uh, you cover uh, all of those in great depth uh, in the books. Why do so many brands get influencer marketing so wrong? Is it is it because they look at it as more of a a transaction, almost like buying an ad instead of building a relationship? Or, or what what are some of the big pitfalls you see? I think uh, that's a, a great question. Uh, and there's I think there's a, there's several reasons for that. Uh, first, uh, you know, social marketers have been more concerned with for for. For, for since for the beginning uh, with telling people how to behave or what our benefit, we all want to tell people what are our benefits. We all know how great we, our product, our service ourselves is and less concerned with building relationships um, and relationships take time to build. So it's like, it's, I like to use the, the marriage example. You wouldn't just go, you wouldn't just give somebody like a bunch of bullet points and say, and the, here's how great I am. Here's all, all my attributes. And now, you know, I'm going to go find a spouse and I, I oh, and by the way, you've got, a, it's a, six month window. Yeah. And for the guys out there, that is not the approach to take because it didn't work for me either. Maybe you did it in less than six months too. That's always, a, that's always an, uh, a, a good element that you might not be that successful. Yes. But you know, it's so obvious businesses are doing that and it's, they're, they're thinking, uh, you know, they, I don't know. They, they, they don't seem to realize how they're, how they're uh, being uh, perceived. So that uh, taking this uh, kind of more transactional approach rather than building a relationship. Yeah, and because you know we're in a fast-paced society where we need we need we need to show results. We need to do things fast. We have six months, nine months. You know, we think quarterly. Um, and and at the end of the day, business is about relationships and. To build a brand, you look at some of the biggest brands of all time, like they've built a community, they built a tribe, and that doesn't happen overnight. You can't force that. And our, our system is set up, is not set up to nurture that. You need to prove ROI faster than that. So I think some of it is systemic um, and some of it is just the failure to understand um, the difference between you know, building relationships versus a transactional approach. Um, so, but, you know, but my counter argument to that is that, yes, it takes time to build great relationships uh, with your community, with your customers, with your, you know, your partners, but it, it is the, it, it actually doesn't take more time and more money in the long run. If you look at the long, the bigger picture, it's a lot more money and time. If you're constantly doing these one-off campaigns and sp- throwing money and spaghetti at the wall everywhere yeah. and they're not working. Mm-hmm. So I would rather, you know, put a, you know, create a much bigger, inf- a much bigger foundation, like build the house versus pitch the tent because you're going to constantly be pitching new tents otherwise. And if you build the house, you're, you know, build that runway. Uh, and it will it, it it will pay off. Yes. So let's go to uh, I'm going to go to chapter one because there are a couple things you talk about here. Whether listeners start in on uh, influencer marketing tomorrow or not, these things are so important to understand and help to set the stage for why influencer marketing is so powerful when it's done correctly. So I want you to defend three assertions you make here. One is explain what you mean when you say traditional media reach is falling off a cliff. Yeah, I mean, that's like cable television and the radio uh, and magazines, right? Uh, How many of us are sitting at home 
you know, watching cable television, old school style, or tuning into our radio channels, we, 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 we decide, we look what we, we are now all digital pretty much. And we choose what we, we select what we want to watch and we can decide to delete all the advertising if we want to as well. Yeah. And we're paying uh, to avoid ads. Like we're paying Amazon. to avoid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Netflix, I mean, Amazon prime. Yeah. When was the last time you watched a television show and then we and watched all the commercials? I mean, only when I was watching some live sports over the holidays. There, there you go. And yes, the Super Bowl and sports and <laughs> stuff like that. But we just don't do it. So if you're paying all this money for an advertisement on a com- on a you know regular program commercial, it how it's not even getting seen. Right, right. And advertising is one of the least trusted. Uh, right. Uh, Add to that, yeah. Nobody <laughs> trusts people. People are annoyed by. Advertising, they're not, they're not, they're not rushing out to to support you. Yeah, yeah. But let's let's go a little further here because this is really important. And this next thing is something that always seems to surprise people when I mention if they're not aware of it. Explain what you mean when you write that social media's organic reach is now all but dead. Yeah. So social media platforms were set up, you know, originally or the original ones were set up as, as you know, social communication devices. Uh, but now they are advertising, they are modern day advertising platforms. So if you're not willing to spend, then you're not going to get seen, especially brands and businesses on there. You have to spend money to get seen. So you have to look at that as a paid, paid media. Yeah. Back to the, uh, the thing about the advertising, I, and the, <laughs> there's such a great quote on uh, page two. You say, advertisements are a notorious turnoff. And if we don't end up just ignoring them, we take them in with skepticism. However, the exact opposite is true when that same list of benefits comes from someone else's lips, especially someone we trust to give us the real scoop. And then uh, this one other point that you, you make, uh, which could be controversial. So <laughs> you, you, you're, you're arguing in a certain way, content is no longer king. Yeah. I, and I know that's a very controversial one, but my, my argument for that is not saying that it's not extremely important and extremely valuable and all of the things. And that's how you, you can't get by with, you, you know, you, I can't imagine building a brand without great offering real value and content um, in a digital, in a digital marketplace. However, the greatest content in the world means nothing if it doesn't get seen. Yes. So you could be writing blogs or doing videos all day long. And how many of you, how many people sitting at home know people that do that? And yet they haven't taken off and they're, they're providing, I mean, I know there, I, I even have um, certain colleagues and friends that I think provide incredible, valuable content either on YouTube or on their podcast or whatever it is, but they do not have the followings that they want. Mm-hmm. So I, I would argue that it's not, it's not that they're not producing great content. They're just not, they're not getting the, the eyeballs, the attention and the trust. Yes, uh, publishing content, <laughs> recent past, could be well, maybe ten years ago. <laughs> it was this. You, you were done at that point. You could get it out there. Yeah, search engines would uh, exactly, it up, and it was sort of the finish line. Now, publishing content is like the starting gun. Notice how I'm using these track analogies, Amanda Russell. I hope. Yes, I'm very impressed. You've done your homework. <laughs> so. Well, let's let's go because so we've established that that these traditional approaches marketers have used for years to win consumers over just I, they don't really work anymore. And uh, it's funny how many people will say, "Oh yeah, I understand. That's not how I consume media," and yet they don't think that applies to their customers. But let's talk a little bit about trust. What what does trust actually mean in the context of influencer marketing? Yeah, influencer marketing. I say this to my students all the time. is so extremely contextual. Uh, marketing in general is, and it's it's it, it, whether it's the product or the service or the idea or the or the person or the audience. You know what what does it mean to 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 trust? It means that you you think that they somebody has either your best interest or that they know what they're talking about. Or but it's it's going to change, right? Like you're going to trust somebody differently for um, buying perfume than you are for, you know, investing in a, in a property. Um, and, and then your circle changes too. So, you know, more high price point or high, more highly involved decisions are going to be more people close near around you. You're probably, you might, you know, learn about something from someone that you, you think is hurt on um, investment properties in a certain state and, and get interested, but then you'll probably consult with somebody that you know, before you make any kind of decision. I think just in, in terms of in general influencer marketing too, it, 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 
the one of the things that I think is so valuable about it is that I think it's beyond just marketing in the traditional sense. I don't think marketing would be put in one department or siloed, but it applies to everyone because brands are all brands are people and people are brands. So whether you know you want the corner office or to be a thought leader or you just want to be respected or you want your product to be launched or you want your messages heard, it helps achieve all of the goal, any goal which involves behavioral um, or thought changes, which is essentially how we live and, and grow. Mm-hmm. So it affects everything. So I think that being able to identify you know, what is our goal and what are the forces of influence that are going to affect us and being able to to get that goal is so important. So it's a paradigm shift in how you think about influence rather than thinking about, okay, what Instagram stars can we go pluck that, you know, I've got a fitness brand or I've got, you know, workout brand. So I'm going to go get a fitness influencer. Why don't we think who, okay, what am I ultimately looking to achieve? And if we're a business, we need to start at the end of the day, we need to make money to stay in business. So then working backwards from that is, okay, and who's our audience? And what who are they looking to, to solve their problems, needs, wants, and desires? And what are, and those then become the influencers, right? So that, and it doesn't necessarily mean those influencers have to be people. So, you know, this world pandemic that we're going through, some of the influencers, they're not people, they're, I mean, at the end of the day, business are people, but they're company, like the World Health Organization becomes an influencer, right? The World Health organization tells us that we have to quarantine ourselves. We all quarantine ourselves. Uh, if Oprah, if you, a book is sitting in front of you and there's three books and you're picking a book club and one of them has the Oprah book club sticker, all of a sudden that sticker has given that book more influence amongst the three of the books. So yeah. it, it's very contextual and it's, it's, it's looking at it through a different lens and really seeing influencer marketing as a, as, as a relationship-based interactive process, not a transaction. Yes. You know, when reading through the book, <clears throat> I was just thinking about the way I get information. And one of my hobbies is hunting. And so I will see what products are out there. But then I I really just don't, I'll read what the different manufacturers say. But then I go to this one particular influencer named John McAdams. <laughs> and I see okay. what he says about it. And he'll evaluate all these different products and 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 all that sort of thing. And I, I even message him sometime and he'll send me a link to the whatever <laughs> whatever uh, article he happens to have written. But there's a number of them out there where it's just, it's it's so clear in your book. I go to these influencers because I just trust them more and, and rather than what the uh, what the manufacturer says. That's, yeah, that's a great note, but it's, it's, I think that's probably the, one of the things that I'm really trying to push people to do in the book, and you did a really good job of it, which is think about how you make decisions uh, in the things that matter to you or you know, on anything. And you need to think that customer, any, your customer is the same way. So rather that we're, we're focusing on the wrong things, it's like a, a really great example that I, I love watching people, um, like I, I just love watching human interaction. And a, a real, a, a, I have a brother who is, he's not, um, he's very quiet, but he's not shy. But every time he's at a party or he's in a room or, you know, work events, uh, people leave and they think that he is the most fascinating. They just love, like, they just love him. And I can't figure, and I'm like, I don't understand it. And I, I asked him, but I'm like, I don't understand every time, even people that don't like people lo- like love, they think they had the most fascinating conversation with you. And he, he responded one time and he's like, he's like, I know. And I barely say anything. All I, he's like, cause I just listen. I just ask them questions. And <laughs> It's it's the same thing. It's the same thing with our product. Rather than pushing, you know, products and services and toting all the benefits, you you figure out what it is that pe- the audience wants and what's going to motivate their behavior. So I think if we could start there and flip the switch on how we looked at it, we'd be much more successful. Absolutely, and I had a feeling that's what Major seems so uh, liked by these people is because he's just a. It sounds like he's a very good uh, listener. Yeah, and not a market. I mean, he's about as far from marketing as it gets, but yet has been able to market him his practice or whatever, you know, in, in healthcare that, that extremely well. Because why? Because he has, has built this, this trust with every patient. Oh, wow. That's great. That's great. Let's pretend for a moment that you're about to launch a campaign. It tested well. Your entire team is happy. Everything is going according to plan, except for that one thought in the back of your head. 
How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message? The answer is LinkedIn. Because when you market on LinkedIn, your message reaches people who are ready to do business. And that means your advertising campaign will work as hard as it can as soon as as you launch it. Over 62 million decision makers are on LinkedIn, and that's just one of the many reasons why more than 78% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as the most effective social media platform at helping their organization achieve specific objectives. LinkedIn has tools for branding and lead generation. Not only can you target and reach a professional audience down to their job title, company name, and location, but you can engage people you already know based on who's visited your site or who you've contacted in the past. And to make this ridiculously easy to try, LinkedIn is giving marketing book podcast listeners a $100 advertising credit toward their first LinkedIn campaign. Visit linkedin.com slash marketing book, linkedin.com slash marketing book. Terms and conditions apply. So we've established that we're talking about more than getting Mark Cuban to retweet something or uh, or one of these uh, people in LA that Neil Schaefer hangs out with. Um, but what I wanted to do was ask you to explain the different types of influencers. So I think you know, there's there's the celebrity, the authority, expertise, and affinity. We are all familiar with the celebrity part, and that seems to be what sucks all the oxygen <laughs> out of the room. Right. So right. Could, could you walk the listener through what these different types of influencers are? Yeah, and there, I, I classify them. I'm a big person. I'm a big fan of frameworks. Uh, you know, especially in the world of marketing, especially digital marketing or influencer marketing, where it's such a new category that I think there needs to be some like order to chaos. So while I, you know, while I, I arrange them this way, you know, there are other categories, and you can classify them differently. I think this, for me, all the ways that I've looked at it, I feel like this is the most most helpful for for me and for teaching it to others. And um, what I, the first thing I disclose is that just because you're in one category doesn't mean you're not in another two or three or all of the categories. Right. Um, Cause they overlap. So celebrity, obviously you can fall into many of the categories. There's um, ec- um, uh, authority, which is influence by title. So like when uh, a, you know, if we were driving down the street and uh, you hear a siren behind you, you're going to pull over you're not pulling over because you you know the person in the car and you're like oh yes he's got influence on me I'm, I, I I you know I I know this guy and I got to pull over mm-hmm. you're pulling over because the symbolism of his, by 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 title by the by the red by the red lights and the police car you know that's what you're supposed to do when a doctor tells you that you need to go get um, an X-ray you do it um, again be you know and then a doctor would then fall also into the expert category but by by title as well, you will usually do what they say, a teacher, professor, like by job title, then, which often overlaps with, but doesn't have to, right? Because we all know that everybody given their title is not necessarily the, 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 ex, the, the expert you want them to be. Right. Um, so I, 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 I differentiate those two. Um, and an expert or thought is really like the thought leader, right? It's somebody that was truly the expert in the category. So um, that is, you know, uh, like the, uh, the hunting guy, John McAdams. Exactly. I, yeah. Your hunt, your John McAdams would be your expert in the category. Mm-hmm. And then affinity is like the most overlooked yet I think most powerful, uh, especially for high price point or high decision uh, factor um, actions, which is affinity. And that is, those are the people that are around you, that you have personal connection with. Those are your spouse, your kids, your mother, father, brother, sister, best friend, um, colleagues, the, the people that you are around every day um, or that you know are in your life that you are innately trust that you're going to go to for things, um, and I think this is incredibly overlooked by marketers. Um, and I, I talk in a lot in examples because I think it helps people remember things better. And um, an example that I, I always think of when it comes to this is buying your first car. So a lot of my um, you know. A, a lot of the undergraduates, uh, students, they're they're at a point when they for they're for they're you know in college and they they've, they've had to buy their first car in the you know the past four years, and so if I'm marketing a car, you have to think what's that chain of of influence of what are the factors that are going to affect college kids getting cars? Well, if you 
if you if you ask a, a room of two of two hundred college kids, you know, who influenced their decision to, to buy their car, almost all of them will tell you that it was their mom or dad, and usually the dad. So if I'm marketing cars to college kids, who should I be targeting? Uh, at the periphery, you'd think the college kid, but really, I should be targeting dad or mom. Whoever's yeah. the one making the decision that's going to influence their decision. So that's an affinity influencer yeah. or, you know, a wine clerk. So when, you know, you go to a party, uh, you're going to a cocktail party, and you, you don't really know the host that well. So you go to a, the wine store and you're trying to select something. And if you're like me, I would just go up to the the clerk at the store and I kind of describe the situation and the price point that you want to spend and who becomes the influencer, the, the wine clerk then yeah. picks up the wine. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a wine label, which actually Neil Schaefer's uh, brother has a nice uh, wine uh, vin vineyard in Santa Barbara. If I were him, I would be, and he's probably done this because uh, he's got Neil's the brother would be giving my, uh, my wine label to wine, wine clerks and all the main target areas that I want to, um, to target and giving them, you know, as much knowledge and information as I can about my products. Yes. And his brother should send a case of Cabernet to, to the marketing podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Things would start happening at that point. Um, I mean, and the, and the influencer here who dispelled the Tercero wines. <laughs> <laughs> so your book is called The Influencer Code. And believe it or not, folks, there really is a code. <laughs> it's, there really it's, is. I mean, it seems like you could have had a hundred things, but you have only three. <laughs> which is great. Can you can you yeah talk, talk to the listener about what what the code is? So the code is three steps, and I organize all of my I organize all of the course uh, courses in executive uh, executive education right down to undergraduate um, this way. And I say it's three steps, but three steps is simple, but simple is not necessary necessarily easy mm -hmm. and every step um breaks down into a different like a different area but i think that it's like phases right it's like phases and i it, yes it's for influencer marketing but i think it's for uh all of marketing in general and business strategy which is um i focus a big big percentage of the time on the goal number one the goal and the reason for that is you know and i, I do a lot of and i don't know if i, I can now i'm recalling if i do so much in my book but i use a lot of running analogies yeah, and metaphors. You did. You did which, which everyone understands. I mean, um, it really is the best metaphor. For, but that's that's what I use because that's that's really how I think about literally. If and you, anyone that knows me can vouch that literally the way the lens through which I look at business and my daily life is now completely um, like where's where's what what what's the goal like what's the finish line for this particular project and what does the training have to look like to get there and um i and that's helped me be you know successful in different arenas because i think that too many times we get really excited by an idea or uh, an opportunity without thinking through where do we really want to be in five or 10 years, or what do we really want the outcome to be, or where do we really want our revenue stream to come from, or all of these things. And we get this like shiny object syndrome where we're like all over the place because like there's a great opportunity and it's really exciting and there's a great idea over here and we're into the buzz and the excitement and all these things. But at the end of the day, you have to keep in mind, and this is where I hate to say it, but marketing, advertising, PR, all of this gets a, often gets a bad rep uh, in business because we get so excited by these things, like you know, like the, the the Beverly Hills Housewife example I gave, which is like the vanity metrics. If you go to your CFO or your founder tomorrow and you're like, I just achieved so much engagement and blah blah blah, and yet you didn't increase, you know, didn't increase the bottom line, then they're like, I'm sorry, that <laughs> I, this is not this is not working out so well. Yes, it's so true, and uh, marketers have an image problem. And there was one, I can't find it right this second, but there was one great quote, uh, which I'm going to be using in a presentation to address that. And you talk about how, you know, you, you really can't be a marketer if you're not tying what you're doing back to revenue. Yeah. You just said that. But, you know, before we go to step two and three, I've got to say that one part of your book that I particularly liked and is is sorely needed is about goals and objectives. And and I, I I just found it so refreshing because my sense is that marketers are operating without goals or objectives or or both. Or they're confusing the two. So could we yeah. pause for a minute and explain 
to folks what a goal and an objective is? I know this may sound stupid, but it's really important. No, I know. And it's funny. I've had, when I was writing this book and and every time I teach this exact lecture on a goal versus an objective, I've gone back to this. There's, I have a mentor who uh, is retired from McCombs Business School and was also at the CMO at Pillsbury for many years, much older woman. And we've literally spent hours discussing, debating. I can't, I'm sure this would be painful to most people, the goal versus objective uh, lecture and argument. And I think because because the, the big, one of the biggest problems I think marketers make is confusing objectives and, and key performance indicators with goals. Uh, and lacking lacking the end goal, meaning like things like brand awareness. Brand awareness is not a goal in itself. Why do we want brand awareness? Why do we want engagement? Why do we want some of the things that we want? Brand awareness for just the sole sake of brand awareness is not a goal. We at the like that's why I always say at the end of the day, are you uh for are you for profit? If you're for profit business, then your bottom then your 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 profit margin is your goal um, or achieving a certain amount of, of, of revenue or, or market share or whatever that is. Um, and, and brand awareness might be uh, an objective or an indicator that you're getting there. Um, and the reason that I, and then people say, well, then the end of the, at the end of the day, the goal is the same for every for-profit business or, you know, if you're nonprofit, it's, you know, you know, uh, raising a certain amount of money or raising a certain amount of whatever you guys put in place. But and I, and and my and my, my answer to that is yes, that's true. If you're for profit, then that is yes. You can we can all say things like you know um, you know creating value and all, all of these other things that are all you know goodness and back to, giving back to the world. And I'm not I'm not saying those are not those are not great um, goals and objectives, but you are not a business if you're not making money. So you can't achieve any of those others you know, all, all the self altruistic goals, if you can't stay in business. So, so then why is that so important to to start with if it's always the same? Because if we don't start with that, we forget that that's important. That's, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Yes. Oh, and I just found it on page 83. You wrote, ultimately, marketing must translate to revenue to keep a company afloat, period. <laughs> right. And it's just, it just, and it's even acknowledging that like a lot of marketers, you know, complain that it's hard to get budget. It's hard to get spend. It's hard to get, it's hard to convince a client or your leadership, uh, you know, to, to get the money that you need to do something. And that's because they're concerned that they're like, uh, well, how does that translate? We need to see real, real, like we need to see how the needle moves. And that's where being able to communicate success in their terms, in the real bottom line terms, is so important. Yes, and <clears throat> it it's sort of like your brother being a good listener. It, I think marketers, rather than uh, first and foremost trying to get more budget, understand and listen to what the leadership of your company is trying to accomplish. Try to, yes. try to understand what they want rather than what you want. So let's go on to the, the second one, which is very important. Observe and identify. So the first one was always start with the end in mind, which is really great life advice, Amanda Russell. <laughs> but yeah. step two, observe and identify. Yeah. And again, that translates into life too. But observe and, the observe and identify phase is two phases for influencer marketing. And, and the first phase always gets skipped. And that's why I break it into like, no, this is really two phases and you have to start in this order. And number one is observe your audience, like for, know your audience and, uh, and spend the time to observe them, be part of their community, hang out where they hang out, ask them the questions, figure out where, you know, what those answers are, what are their needs, problems, and pain points. And, and through doing that, you will then identify who the influencers are on the contextual basis, right? So mm-hmm. if you're, you know, whatever your product or service or goal is, so figuring by spending time with them, by getting to know them, by observing them, then you let them tell you who those influencers are. And then once you've identified the influencers, then you spend time observing the influencers, meaning the same way you do the audience. Okay. Who are these people? What's important to them? What motivates them? What are their needs? Because that's going to be key for you to make a connection. Yes. And instead they seem to jump right to 
who are who's a potential who's influencer. the influencer yeah and by, and then by nature you're then going into ad, the advertising space a little bit right where you're you're gonna if you top 30 beauty bloggers well those top 30 are going to be the same top 30 that every company in the world is going after and they not necessarily be who your audience is going to anyway the most powerful influencers especially in b2b or um in niche and un, un, i say unsexy categories are that comes through really knowing who your audience is and where they're going to, and what you can uncover is is incredible. So if people say, "Well, how do you start?" I, but and then they'll, they'll listen to that and say, "If you're so, how do I find the right influencers?" I'm like, start with the audience. So it's and then what tools do you use? Start by looking oh. at your audience. We all want the quick fix. We all want the we all want the you know the 400 meter dash. Nobody wants to run the marathon. And in order to you know those things, it's not a sprint. Um, for real long-term success. So, yes. you know, there was a, another, there were several sections of your book that got me excited, but there was one part on page 133. I just have to quote it. This is about buyer personas and observing, basically understanding. And you wrote, talk to your customers. Seems obvious, right? It's mind-boggling how overlooked this is. We will conduct focus groups, seek expert recommendations and strategies, synthesize data. Yet most companies I've worked with aren't actually asking the real humans already buying and hopefully loving your product or service. Isn't it crazy? And, and, and so many people sitting here thinking, like, actually ask yourself that. Like, oh my gosh, I've done all this research online. I've done all this. Have you actually gone out and just asked? Like, it's amazing what you'll find out. And I used to, when I start, I was, when I very first started working, I worked for Millward Brown, Millward, Millward Brown Cantar Group and market research, uh, like data science. And that's all I did was, was, was crunch numbers and look at focus group and, and statistics and survey research. And I could, I never could believe how, like, it's, you know, especially for the brands that I was a customer of thinking like, who asked, like, who, where did, like, who asked the actual customers? Cause I don't think I would have answered any of these. Oh, so it's amazing. And I have seen a lot of marketers who have done very, very well for themselves at their companies by becoming the expert on the customer. Now, yes. Now they weren't necessarily told to do that, but they, I, I've, I've told this story before about marketers who, well, one in particular, he wanted to know about a book to learn more about the technology that his company had. And I said, why don't you just focus on the customer? A few months later, he comes back and says, my goodness, it worked. They're all listening to me. All I did was go talk to these customers. And again, I recommended a couple of books to them, but it's 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 amazing. And the their stature increases. So there's a real, yeah. it's a real opportunity for marketers. And I, and I will say this too, because it's one thing to talk about doing these things and it's another thing to do it. And I get that. I get that firsthand and I've done that, um, you know, and I, that's what inspired me really into this, you know, after business school, I started my own business and it was one, you know, it was one of the first online, um, it was an online community. It started as a YouTube channel and with the thesis being, you know, YouTube was very new at the time. Um, you know, how do, I was fascinated with how do you build the community? Can we build the community first and then they will tell us what they want. Now this was a, this was a very unconventional idea, when, but way back, way back then, um, now it's like, it's almost like, that's what everybody, it's like the mainstream. Um, but, but doing that. And then in terms of when I didn't even develop my product, which was a subscription model, which was very, very, uh, nouveau at the time, mm-hmm. um, until I knew my audience, my audience actually chose the name of the brand, what became the brand, um, because I didn't want it to be my name. Um, which is how I started my YouTube channel with my name. Um, and they, they even chose the name of the brand and I had them choose everything. It's strong and sexy. It was. Yeah. And so that would, that would not have been a name to be honest that I would have ever chosen in my right mind. Um, and, but yet my audience was such that they were this young, um, you know, 20 something, 30 something young woman, well-educated, you know, you know I, I have a portrait of my, I've got certain personas of, of, of who, who she is. She was the Equinox gym membership girl living in Manhattan um, that like wasn't working out, you know, to get in shape. She was working out to be like type A plus of perfection or what I knew my audience, right. Mm-hmm. I knew, I knew exactly the type I had speak their language. Um, I, I knew that I, so much so that if whenever I would meet somebody that was a subscriber or a follower of mine in an airport or wherever it was, I could automatically sit down. Like it was like we were old friends because I knew them that well. Excellent, excellent. That's how it works, folks. The more you yeah. under, 
The most successful company is the one that have the deepest understanding of their, of their. Yeah. So I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and it's funny, ironically, I I was just listening to um, the Glossier case study and uh, how, how Emily Wise built Glossier, the beauty brand. And it was almost eerily similar how the, how she describes, you know, building the community and, and knowing the audience and the community and feeling like a girlfriend to them. And that was like, that's exactly how, and that's when I learned the importance of like, yeah, just let, let them tell you what's going to, you know, let, let them tell you. Um, and that's how I developed every single, you know, pro- when I say product, they were all like o- online products. If uh, Joe Polizzi, the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, ever updates his book, Content Inc., he definitely needs to have an Amanda Russell case study. Because in his book, he talks about how companies have done exactly what you did, which is they build an audience and then more or less, the audience tells them what they want. <laughs> yes, instead of putting the cart before the horse, right? And I would, yeah, that thanks. I'll, I'll, I'd love to uh, connect with Joe on that because I love Content Marketing Institute. But yeah. that's, I, I think you're right. We need to flip that, that. That was actually my thesis in business school was why I started the YouTube channel, which was exactly the reason you can have the best product or service or idea in the world, but if you don't have a community that that cares and trusts you, it doesn't matter. So if we can build that first and now we can build that with pretty much no capital, then you really could. Uh, It's it's definitely changed today. Um, Then, yeah. Well, let's go to uh, the third one, which is building and maintaining connections. And let me just jump to a specific part about reaching out to influencers. Mm -hmm. Um, And you write that you should never do an ask you should craft an opportunity. Explain what you mean there. Yeah, so I learned this lesson. So my, my career was built by the by this. I could tell. I could I could write a book on just ex- case examples of, of of being of doing this and how I learned to do this. And this is, you know, never ever, no matter what it is you want, never ask for it. Never or, or ask somebody to do something for you. Rather, take the time. That's observe number two phase. Right is once you've taken that time to understand what that that force of influence, whether that's Oprah's book club or whether that is, you know, the gatekeeper at a company you want to work for, um, whatever, whoever that person is, figure out what are their motives, what are their goals, and how can I position this so that it is mutually beneficial, so that they will be equally motivated. And some of the best partnerships don't ever involve the transaction of a single dime, but rather it's a mutual independence interdependence and a collaboration. Um, if you can figure that out, if you can figure out how you can help them achieve their goals or how what you're doing is going to help them further their success, that's when you can get almost anyone, anyone. And I love the challenge of, you know, pie in the sky, like give, give me a wish list of people or brands to work with and let me see how I could, can form partnerships with them. And that was, that that was like how I started that. That's all of my business partnerships were that way. Um, My very first brand, big brand partnership was the Plaza hotel in New York. And it became bridal, what is known today as bridal bootcamp. And that was literally because I was, I had this lifelong dream of being able to make it on my own and live in a city like New York. And to me, the Plaza hotel, thanks to home alone Two, my favorite you know, movies are my parents' best babysitter. Um, and that's how I saw the world. And I remember seeing Home Alone 2 and thinking that if I can't, couldn't even imagine that this place, this magical place ever existed. And that as a bucket list item for myself, I thought, man, if I could partner with the Plaza Hotel, then I'll, then I'll know I've made it for me. Yeah. That was what I thought. And so I, I did do it. And that was, again, that was, you don't just walk into the Plaza Hotel and ask them to especially in fitness, being a young girl in fitness, walking around in a leotard, tell, tell them that you're going to, that they are going, can you host um, a massive, basically wedding in your ballroom and light it and music and actually have the chef prepare hors d'oeuvres as well, please. And I mean, that place costs like 10 grand at the time to light the place for an hour. Um, so, and, and then the next thing I knew, if like, but if you can reposition it, right? So I took the time to figure out, well, what was it that they wanted? Well, they had just gone through this, one of the biggest renovations in history. And the main focus was this incredible ballroom and this incredible ballroom that was so cr- incredible, but no one, not even, not even young women living in Manhattan knew that it was even accessible. It was like Buckingham Palace. Nobody even knew how you could even book the place. So they have, were, they were, tr- trying to be the most iconic place to get married, but they weren't getting booked. 
And so once I figured that out, I thought, aha, my audience is their audience. So being able to position it that way, what better way? Invite, we'll invite everybody and the press and we'll host the most magical thing in all of the, you know, fitness history in this incredible ballroom and every girl's going to want to get married there. And all of a sudden I had an, uh, an event at the Plaza Hotel in the ballroom. Um, and, and that was irresistible for them. That was exactly. an irresistible offer. Exactly. But you don't go in and say, hey, I, you know, they would say, okay, here's our price list. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I don't even know, you know, there, there might not even been much money uh, exchanged there. There was none. Yeah. Really, let's a little bit further into that. What Talk about the role that content creation plays in influencer marketing. So for instance, an irresistible offer, let's say you've got an audience and there's some influencer it seemed, I think you mentioned this in the book a few times, where you could go to an influencer and say, can we help give you more visibility with our customers? Exactly. And that depends on the size of your brand versus the size of the influencer too. Right. Red Bull does a great example. It's like a case study of this, which is, you know, they're, they're not picking high level influencers or macro influencers. They're looking for who they believe has real influence in their space, but could use the exposure, could use the resources. Um, and that is a magical partnership because if, you know, if, if you've got, um, you know, I think it was Sarah names, Sarah Simmons, I forget her first name. Uh, she was a female surfer. I'm just giving throwing out an example with Red Bull. Um, but she was, you know, she was a great surfer. Um, they thought she was really cute and she would be like a great face for female surfing, but, you know, didn't have the means or the visibility. They, you know, gave her, gave her the the platform platform. Now, even when that partnership is over, like when the, when the formal partnership is over, like don't doubt for one second that now this girl is now loyal to that brand for the rest of her life for building her. You get a loyalty and your ambassadorship um, on another level when you do something like that. And if your brand is looking for content, great content, then, and you have, you, you already a significant size, look for the up and coming talent, um, or look, look for those areas, um, different things. It's basically, it's, it's, it's one way of looking at the same thing, which is figuring out what is it, how can you make this mutually beneficial for both sides? A, a big part of, uh, a lot of this influencer marketing is content creation and, and influencers can help companies creating a lot of the content. There was one part, uh, another part of this about the content that just warmed the cockles of my heart. And I want you to explain what <laughs> you mean when you say that great content provides answers. Yeah. So that's, that is basically a manifestation of the, you, you know, your audience so well that you know what they're asking, you know what their problems are, you know what their challenges are, you know what they're searching for. Your great content solves those problems, answers those questions. So you can only really create great content if you really know your audience. Yes. And it's not about talking about your products and services first no. and foremost. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, who who knows? It's it's like it would be. It's it's literally tell your product as much as we want to do it. Where I am, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. And you, you, I just remind myself that imagine going into a party, a cocktail party, and walking up to somebody and telling them, you know, how wonderful you are. How you know people tell you you're so witty and you're so, and so smart and all like. What would happen so fast is people would walk away so fast, or you'd be you would be talked about, but not for the reasons that you wanted to be talked about. <laughs> yep, and they wouldn't talk to you again. So, yeah. just let me apologize. Your book is three hundred eighty-four pages <laughs> of solid gold, and there is so much that we can't get to, and we've really only scratched the surface. But one last thing, I want—I mean, you've got a whole wonderful section on how to measure influencer marketing, but I wanted to ask you about a couple of things that I think a lot of companies could be doing, even if they don't feel like they're ready to start reaching out to influencers. And that is using their own employees as influencers and or brand ambassadors. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think this is one of the most powerful um, powerful things to tap into that I think everybody should be tapping into, whether it's customers or ambassador programs, I'm sorry, employees or ambassador programs, because every company doesn't just have one website or one platform. They have all of the platforms of every single one of their employees. And so, you know, and, and everybody seems to have more than one platform these days on social media as well, but it is well, it is, it has been studied how much more trustworthy it is to hear from an employee about a brand or a product or company than it is their CEO. 
Um, and, and, and it gives people this, like, there's this je ne sais quoi about like insider access or exclusive access. People like that feeling like they have insider or exclusive information Mm -hmm. and employees provide that. So leverage your employees, um, building a great culture and you can't, that's something you cannot mandate. You cannot mandate corporate culture. You cannot say love working here and please post about blah, blah, blah. We're having a 10% off sale. Can you guys all please spread this to your family and friends? Or you're fired. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, nobody wants wants to share an email about 20% off, but do they want to share something of real value? You give them the tools. So that's creating, to do that, you have to create the right infrastructure. And part of that can be, is also like creating the tools for you and the autonomy for your employees to be able and wanting to share and giving them such value that they can't help but want to share. And if none of your employees want to do it, you may not have an employee problem. <laughs> you may have yeah. a, a company problem. Yeah. But I mean, it's it, and, and the people sitting here that are like, yeah, my, my company's B2B or it's not sexy. I mean, I, we could give you examples of so many different companies that like the fact that a, a water cooler company, Yeti, is like now this like big sexy brand that people want to go visit the, 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 the headquarters and, and it's a status simple. It's a water cooler. For goodness sakes, you can get a water. I mean, if you can do a water cooler, there's a lot. There's, I think almost anybody, there's always a way. Yeah. And I think that's a big takeaway. I think, you know, I I know that's a question that often comes up or people have asked, you know, what's one thing that you want to take away? And I think that that's the beauty of influence and understanding it at such a level and really putting the time in is that I think that I know that there is no opportunity, there is no job or success that is untouchable if you can understand the forces of influence that will affect that decision. And if you can create the journey and that journey is not usually, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be short. You know, my, my path, took me, I had to take a lot of steps sideways and a few steps backwards that on paper would have looked like I was not making forward traction. But for me, I knew the goal and I had to go about it very unconventionally, not being American for a lot of it. And so there's certain things you need to do, but there's nothing that's out of reach. You just have to know those, those figure out those factors of influence and how to influence them. Hmm. Well, you're already answering the questions I was going to ask. So let's jump to a later one. <laughs> no, it's 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 excellent. It's excellent. And there's so much great advice in the book. What books have most inspired your working career? Uh, there's one that has inspired me more than probably anything. And I've, I've referred back to it and it's, 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 it's how I wanted to write my book and it's called the brand called you. And I think it was originally written in the eighties. Um, it's been updated a few times, but it's timeless. Um, and it changed the way that I thought. And, and I read that, that it really shaped my career and everything that I did, whether it was personally, personally was professionally for me as well. But just the idea that you are a brand and whether you decide that you're not, not control, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means that you're not going to be in control of it. And to me, that was, that was a game changer in terms of how to go how to go about things. I really liked, um, I liked talking to strangers too, Malcolm Gladwell, which just kind of, changes the way that you realize that again not everybody what people say is not is not, is not a reflection of how they really feel and just kind of understanding the psychology behind that um, so th- those two you know I don't like to give too big of a list but I think those are those are two that I'm like in my li- in your lifetime if I if I had to say to somebody in your lifetime that these two books you should read I'd say the brand called you and talking to strangers oh terrific excellent well are there any new or upcoming books that you've heard of that you're looking forward to reading or that have just recently come out Neil Schaefer is actually working on a new book uh, that's going to be very exciting <laughs> that I read everything that I, or I have. I actually, he was an influencer for me that I reached out to um, in my career. And so again, my theme continues, um, but I know that he's working on a new book and I've, I've read most of his. So I like, I like well, his work. I learn about your book from him and now I'm learning about his new book from you, man. <laughs> it's a source. See, the circle of, yeah, the circle of, influ- the circle of marketing. Right, um, right. I, uh, that one is the one I know come out, coming out. Um, I don't really know. I would love, I would love recommendations though. Um, for new for 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 new books because I'm always looking for a new book to read. Oh well, I know this guy with a podcast where he interviews authors. I and uh, uh, and I have to say I love your your so I listen to your podcast. Well, even, I especially listen to them sometimes. It's my Cliff Notes actually. Um, if I because I don't like to even invest the time into reading the book if yes. I think it's 
because you, you know how many times you do that? You order all these books and then you, after chapter two, you're like, oh God, this is what this was. And um, so I started listening to your podcast um, to, to get a better idea, a, a handle on books that I actually wanted to read or to assign as text or whatever it was. Well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to everything linkable to your sites, uh, to your LinkedIn profile. And I hope that uh, if listeners have been uh, moved or learned something new, that they'll reach out to you and let you know what it is that they uh, found interesting and, and that they'll thank you for uh, being a guest on the show. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all the links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is The Influencer Code, How to Unlock the Power of Influencer Marketing. The author is Amanda Russell. Amanda, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. That was so fun. Thanks for having me. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, LinkedIn, where business is done. Every marketing campaign starts with one simple question. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message? And the answer is LinkedIn. To get a $100 advertising credit toward your first LinkedIn campaign, visit linkedin.com slash marketingbook. That's linkedin.com slash marketingbook. Terms and conditions apply. And speaking of LinkedIn, since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever situation you're in, invite me to connect with you on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.